Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. You can find your seats. This morning we pick up where we left off last week in the book of Acts in chapter 10 and in verse 23. After enjoying that time of fellowship with all of you, I just want to encourage you. I know that, uh, you know, weather's a little crazy today. It looks like we're going to be fine with this storm. But, uh, you know, it's amazing to me that, that, you know, the devil will do everything he can to keep you from going to church, right? I mean, I understand uh, Lorianne was telling me there was a little bit of a fender bender out here, apparently, in front of the church at some point. And uh, was that you? Are you, are you okay? Not too bad? Oh, I'm so- Okay, I'm so sorry. But you know what? What will happen is things will happen on our way to church, in our families. All kinds of things designed by Satan himself to prevent you from receiving everything you can. Whether it's a fender bender or whether it's someone's not feeling well or you have a family member that's sick. There's so many things that will distract us and prevent us from receiving from God. So what I want to do right now, before we even get into the Word, I just want to pray. Let's just ask the Lord, at least for the next 45 minutes or so, to just clear our minds, clear our hearts of anything that would prevent us from hearing his voice. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We know that there are many, many things that uh, keep us from hearing your voice. There are many, many things that keep us from receiving your truth, your word. We now ask, Heavenly Father, that you give us the ability to receive every aspect of what you want to teach us today by your Spirit's power without distraction in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, Pastor Russ, speaking of distractions, if you wouldn't mind just closing that door over there. No, you're not distracting us, but yeah, that'd be great, just because the kids are settling in next door. This morning, you can open up again in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, verse 23. And last week, we saw that God wanted to do a work among the Gentiles, and he started with a man by the name of Cornelius, giving him a vision. And the angel said to Cornelius, you need to send for a man named Peter, who's staying in Joppa, and you need to get him to come and bring a message of salvation to you. And so we pick it up now. Peter has stepped way outside his comfort zone. He's spoken to and associated with Gentiles after having been challenged by the Lord and by the Spirit to do so. He's invited these Gentiles into the house. Now, I stress, he invited them as guests. Jews at that time, and even some today, do not do this. This was a big deal. But it was God's work, and as we saw last week, God will often challenge us to step outside what we're comfortable with, that he might work in and through us. But we pick it up now, and we see that Peter is about to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Gentiles in Caesarea, and it starts in verse 23, latter part of verse 23, where we read, The next day Peter started out with them, that is, the men that Cornelius had sent, And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Now that's interesting because now there's a few uh, Jewish Christians coming along with Peter as well. And the following day he arrived at Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside, 
and found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, now, I just want to stop for a minute. This is his opening. I just, just think about, you know, the strain and the tension between Jews and Gentiles. You know, he's walking into a situation. He's being invited into the home. Jews don't go into Gentiles' homes. Gentiles have never had Jews really in their homes. This is a big deal. Peter is way out on a limb here. In, his, in terms of his comfort, in terms of tradition, in terms of experience. And the first thing Peter says is, Peter finds a large gathering. So it's not just a couple Gentiles. There's, the house is filled with Gentiles. And Peter walks in and he said to them in verse 28, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. How about an opener like that? I mean, you know I'm breaking the law by being here, right? But here's the part that he wanted to share and why he mentioned that. Because that could almost be offensive, except he went on to say, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Now, that is just beautiful because I'm sure this was very uncomfortable for Peter. But Peter's the kind of guy, you know, they talk about, you know, that phrase, it's, uh, you know, the, the elephant in the room. You know, sometimes we, in our diplomacy, walk into a situation, we try to pretend it's not happening. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. And I'm not saying this to be offensive, okay? But let's be real. Can we be real? Say amen. amen. Now, as a person of color... If you were to walk into a gathering of people and you were the only person of color, there's a sense not that you're not welcome, but you're just a little different perhaps. Or perhaps you're, you're not a person of color. Maybe, maybe you're Italian or, or, or you're of lighter complexion. And you walk into a gathering of people and most of them don't speak English. I'm trying to give you real-life scenarios. We don't like to talk about these things, but they happen, right? Have you ever been somewhere where you walk in and you're the only one that looks like you? Or the only one dressed in a certain way? Listen, I've had occasion to be in these situations. You know, especially on missions trips, you walk into certain situations and you're like, wow, like, like I stand out like a sore thumb. I don't fit in here. It's clear to me that I I don't belong here, but I'm here because God has called me to be here. You know, I shared with you that I that I was away uh, a couple weeks ago, and that that, you know I was at a martial arts weekend. Listen, they were all black belts. I was like one of the only lower belts. I was a yellow belt. I stood out like a sore thumb. There was one other yellow belt. We we almost embraced when we found each other. And, you know, it's just that sense that, like, oh, I don't think I'm fitting in here. There's something different about me. I look different. I am different. I speak different. I I speak a different language. I'm saying these things that might actually make a few of you feel uncomfortable on purpose. Every one of us find ourselves in these situations frequently, if we're honest. Many times, I'm going to say this, many times... If, if a white person walks into a black church or a black person walks into a white church, they won't come back because of something like this. Let's be real. So what we want to do is open up our minds and allow God to astonish us. Amen? I am very fortunate. I am privileged and I am blessed as the pastor of this church. And where I pastored previously in New York City, there were no minorities. 
because we had such a diversity of people that you had Asians and Hispanics and Italians, African Americans, people from all over the world, Indians, others, and it never felt like you were just different than everybody else. You were just your own unique self. Amen? We need to celebrate diversity in the church, and I do, and I love it. And I look around, I, I don't feel that any one person here doesn't fit in. You can't look around and say, oh, wow, that guy looks different than everybody else, because as we look around, some of you have beards. That is the men. Some of you, some, some of you, you know, have been to the beach, <laughs> we can tell, because you're usually a lot fairer, but you're not now. Yeah, so I look around and I say, you know something? We are a diverse bunch, and isn't that wonderful? But the church didn't start out that way. It started out entirely Jewish with a few Gentiles who became Jews peppered in. So what God is doing here is a wonderful work. It's an astonishing work. He is about to change the dynamic of the early church. By breaking down a wall that existed between Jew and Gentile, spiritually. They would do business with Gentiles from a distance. They wouldn't invite them in their homes. They they didn't have relationships of any consequence with them. There were some that they respected. Turns out Cornelius was one of these men, well-respected. But what we're finding now is God wants to take it a step further. Remember, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You are going to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, a very Jewish place. Judea and Samaria, a little less, but still very Jewish places. But then he went on to say, and to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth were very Gentile. The word Gentile speaks of all nations, anyone who's not Jewish. So God is now, the Holy Spirit is now reaching into the church and he's decided he wants to change something about it. Wait, stop, memo. God is constantly wanting to change things. Oh, not his word. His word never changes. But us. We're the ones that need to change. And I'm going to tell you something. The reason a work of the Spirit dies and fizzles out is when that work of the Spirit of those churches involved or those Christians that are a part of it stop being willing to change. We never compromise the Word of God or our faith or our convictions. But that doesn't mean that we can't change the way we do things. A couple of decades ago, it was radical in some churches to to do the kind of music that we did here this morning or to be dressed casually and comfortably the way you are at the moment. Every time God wants to change, and he's done a work in a a group of people, and they refuse to change, he moves on from that group to a group that will. That's why I believe works of the Spirit, moves of the Spirit, generally only last a generation or two. Because what happens is we write our bylaws, we write our our dictates, we say this is the way God has always worked, therefore this is the way he will always work, and we forget to move on as God wants to change us. God is bringing a major change to the church through Peter. A major, it's so major, the next chapter he gets called on the carpet for it. This is a big deal. It was a big deal in Peter's heart. But this is a big deal, and it's so important that we as the church of Jesus Christ, not just this local church, keep our minds and our hearts open to what God, not what we might want to do, what God might want to do in the church. 
30, 40 years ago, this level of diversity that we're experiencing here didn't exist in the church. You know that, right? It just didn't exist. It was a novel thing to walk into a church and see people of all shades and language groups and economic backgrounds. Why do you think, have you ever asked yourself this question? Why do you think there are so many little churches in every town? Have you ever just stopped and said, gee, you know, I drive through town, and it's like 20 churches. They're all small. They don't even have parking lots. Why were there 20 churches 50 years ago? I'll tell you why there were 20 churches, because everyone who was alike stayed together. So what's happened to those churches? Well, many of them have ceased to exist. Because over the last 50 years, 30 to 50 years, God has been wanting to do a diverse work in his church, and he's done it, but he hasn't done it in many of those churches where God once worked. Because they were unwilling to go where God had called them to go. So the challenge to us today as we go through this narrative is to be open in our hearts toward God wanting to change us and the church. He reserves the right to do that. Amen? Please, I'm not saying we change what we believe or who Jesus is or our understanding. No, no, there are things that are unchangeable, immutable, but these are not them. Culture, methodology, the different aspects of how we do ministry, those things need to be open-ended. And Peter was finding out in a big way that God had a plan for the church that included most of the people in the world, and that was a group called the Gentiles. So, Peter travels to Caesarea with these three men that had been sent to him from Cornelius. And by the way, he's traveling with these Gentiles. Just Again, he invited them as guests, now he's traveling with them. And he's going to the home of a, of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Put that in your, in, your, in your computer and just, you know, think about what that means for Peter. Peter's really stepped well over the line here. You know, the Spirit told him not to have any concerns about traveling with them. So what could he do? See, that's the thing. If you do what the Spirit tells you to do, you may be uncomfortable, but you'll know God will be with you. Amen? Six of the Jewish disciples from Joppa also accompanied Peter to Caesarea. Now, I'm sure it was more difficult for them to follow because, after all, Peter had received the vision. Peter had received the word from God. But they're following Peter because Peter's Peter, right? He's the apostle. But I guess that those six people were the most uncomfortable of the whole group. The three Gentiles are probably a little uncomfortable. Peter's gotten over some things, and then there are these six Jewish Christians following him who are probably walking a little further away, maybe not conversing quite as much, kind of keeping to themselves, and they're thinking to themselves, what in the world is God doing? Sometimes that's us. God is working through others, and he's doing these things, and we're just kind of stepping back and saying, yeah, I mean, I'm okay. I'm not sure about all this. Maybe that describes you today. But Peter arrived in Caesarea. He entered the home of this centurion. I love this. This Roman centurion did what? He gathered together all of his relatives, close friends, all the people that he knew, expecting Peter to come. This is wonderful. They didn't even need to go out and tell people they were about to have a prayer meeting or or, or a revival. It was just like, hey, listen, Cornelius, I I got a vision. And Peter's coming, and you need to be in my house. <clears throat> and that's exactly what he did. Cornelius, showing all due respect, not necessarily worship, but all due respect in that culture, bowed before Peter when he entered his house. Now, now, some cultures bow. 
some culture, Eastern cultures bow instead of shake hands. We shake hands, but, and some people have looked at, oh, you shouldn't bow to anybody. L- l- listen, he, there's bowing in worship, and then there's bowing in respect, and there's a place for that kind of respect, and that's what Cornelius showed Peter. But, of course, Peter refused to allow Cornelius to show such reverence for him. He's only a man, and he knows that, and a flawed man at that. And then Peter explains, and again, I've shared this with you already, he takes the time to talk about the elephant in the room because everyone's uncomfortable. I'm sure of it. Everyone's uncomfortable. And sometimes you just need to talk about it. Okay? Is that all right? Can we talk about those things? Today, you can't talk about anything. If you say something, the immediate assumption is you're saying it because you hate someone. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Again, they're going to make you feel uncomfortable. If someone was dressed differently than you and you said to them, oh, I, I love your, your outfit, <clears throat> would that possibly make someone feel uncomfortable? What are you really saying? Well, maybe you just love their outfit. You know, uh, if you love someone's complexion and their skin color and you tell them that, is, is that racism? You know, it's amazing to me that, you know, right away we view everything through the language of hate and distrust. I've always loved to celebrate difference. Celebrate the differences in the church. The things that make us different, the things that make us unique. I remember the first time we were doing a a church outing. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember we ended up with a Korean-American in the the backseat of our car, who was a friend of ours. She's now married to a pastor in Queens. And she was sitting in the back seat, so my wife and I would talk about different things, and she began to explain her culture to us. I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about Korean culture. Nothing. And for the next hour or whatever it was that we spent together, I learned everything I could about the differences between our cultures. That was a very enlightening conversation, and I was thankful for her taking the time and sharing it with us. But at no point should she have felt like I was being racist just because I wanted to know? It's not cultural appropriation to like something about another culture. Is that okay? Like, I wear guayabera sometimes, but I'm not Spanish. Does that mean that I, I'm, I'm in trouble? Can, can I not wear something that doesn't fit into my culture? Oh, no, you're appropriating someone else's culture. Do you realize how insane that is? If I like your culture enough to comment on it or wear something or eat something from your culture or do something in your culture, I would take that as flattery, right? I might actually enjoy and celebrate your culture, but oh, I'm not the right color. Oh, I don't look the same. I'm not from the right ethnic group. I'm not allowed to celebrate that. We have got to get outside of this way of thinking, especially in the church. Let's celebrate who we are in Christ. You see, what I love about this is all these people are gathered together, people are uncomfortable, and Peter begins to talk about it. He explained to the large gathering of people why he had come there. He knew that they knew that Jews considered it unlawful for them to associate with Gentiles. They knew it, he knew it, let's talk about it. And he explained that God had shown him that he should not call any man impure or unclean. He finally understood the meaning of the vision. God wasn't talking about lunch. God was talking about his heart toward others and how it needed to change. And that's what God has been speaking to us over the last few weeks, right? I mean, he knew 
now that it was not unlawful for Jews to associate with Gentiles or visit them, but up until just a few days ago or just a brief amount of time before this, he, you know, the, the day before actually, uh, hey, listen, he would have told you, no way will I do that. In fact, he told the Lord, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. So he accepts Cornelius' invitation, and he did so without hesitation. Why? Because the Spirit told him to go, oh, stop there, stop there, take a moment. Because the Spirit told him to do it, he did it. That's where you and I need to get to. We just need to get to the place that when we don't want to do something and the Spirit tells us to do it, we do it anyway. How about that? Amen? If you're basing your decisions on what you're comfortable with, or what makes sense to you, and not asking God to lead you, you're going to make some big mistakes. But if you, when thinking about what you're going to do with your life, stop and say, Lord, this is my plan, but I don't know if it's such a good plan. So lead me by your spirit, direct me by your spirit. Tell me where to live. Tell me what job to take. Tell me who to get involved in a relationship with. Tell me what ministry to get involved in. Tell me whether or not I should get involved in sports camp ministry or go on a missions trip or build homes for impoverished people. Hey, listen, tell me, Lord. Show me. And when the Spirit says something that makes you feel very uncomfortable, at least you'll know it's God. But think about it. Would your own heart tell you to do something you don't want to do? See, that's how we do things in America. Well, I know God wants me to do this because I want to do this. And God wants me to do everything I want to do. I mean, that's how I know it's God. Think about that. And then the Spirit says, I want you to go on this missions trip, or I want you to get involved in this ministry, or I want you to serve in the children's ministry. And your first inclination is like, I don't want to do that. At least you won't have to ask anybody, was that God? Because you'll know he was leading you, because we don't lead ourselves where we don't want to go. Amen? Now, God sometimes leads us in the directions we want to go, but but I'm just using an example here, because I do know that Peter did what God called him to do simply because God told him to do it. And then he politely asked Cornelius, why am I here? Why have you invited me here? Now, I think Peter had an indication already, but I think he just, for the purpose of being there and and everyone being there gathered, he just says, look, why have you invited me here? You know, and, and why have you sent for me? And then Cornelius goes on to explain. He answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So Peter says, why did you send for me? And then he says, because you have something to tell us. We don't know what it is, but God told us you have something to tell us. Isn't that a great conversation? What if someone were to come to you tomorrow at work and say, you know, I just got a sense that there's something you need to tell me. Are you going to think, oh gosh, what could it be? I mean, your first inclination should be this. It should be that Jesus is Lord, amen, that he died on the cross for your sins. He rose again on the third day. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. I mean, your first reaction should be when someone asks you to tell them something and they don't know what it is, it doesn't matter. That's what you need to tell them because that's the only thing worth talking about. Amen? 
Listen, we need to get into a place where we look for opportunities to share with people the truth of God's word in love. Now, here's what happens. We've seen that he went through the trouble to recount for everyone listening the vision of this holy angel that he'd received uh, while he was praying in the afternoon. Uh, I love the way he describes. He says the angel showed up. He had shining clothes. He obviously this man was afraid, but he still submitted to whatever the angel wanted and did what the angel told him to do. And that's how he's gotten to this place. I love the fact that the angel commended this man, Cornelius. He commended him for his faithfulness in prayer. We saw that last week. For giving to the poor, this man was a good man. Not that any man is good in and of himself, but he did good things. Godly things. And then the angel directed him, look, you need to get Peter here, so send messengers to Joppa. Peter comes, uh, and he explains that this is why he invited them there, just so I think everyone in the room could understand why this very awkward situation was happening. That an angel and the Spirit of God orchestrated two people coming together who otherwise would have never even looked each other in the eye. So everything's been put on the table now. Everyone understands what's going on here. Can you imagine? This must have piqued their interest. At this point, people are probably pretty excited to hear what Peter had to say. I mean, they're finding out, you know, hey, listen, Peter received a vision and Cornelius received a vision, and the Spirit told Peter to go, what's about to happen? That You can almost feel the temperature in the room, right? It, it's, very, it's a very exciting moment. If you were one of those people sitting there, you're probably like watching a ping-pong match, going back and forth between Peter and Cornelius. What is about to happen? But the angel had specifically told Cornelius to hear what Peter would have to say to him. You see, when God tells a person to listen to what this person has to say, and the person speaks the truth of God's word, it reaches their heart in a way it wouldn't otherwise. The angel told Peter that he would bring, excuse me, the angel told Cornelius that Peter would bring a message of salvation for him and his whole household. When you get to chapter 11, verse 14, that's what we find out. They knew a message of salvation was coming. Most people run from it. These people had gathered to hear it in a very awkward and difficult situation that no one was comfortable in. Okay, verse 34. Peter preaches the gospel. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I mean, that's just, the light bulb went on, right? It's amazing but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit in power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's a beautiful message, isn't it? 
Peter was excited to give it, even though it was a challenging situation. What did Peter do? Let's think about this because we're often called to share the hope that we have, right, with others. Let's break it down. Peter preached the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he taught the word of God, and that's a good place to start. When you're speaking to someone, try to use the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Share the word of God and share the truth of the gospel. Don't talk about the weather. Share the truth of God. That's what happens when God is working through an individual called to share the gospel and to preach the gospel. Now, Peter declared the truth that God was calling all people from every nation to be saved from their sins. Maybe he didn't understand that previously, but he understands it now. The Spirit had helped him to realize that God does not favor the Jews over the Gentiles. That was big. The principle, this principle about favoritism, which, when you think about it, prejudice and racism really is favoritism. It's saying that I'm better than you. And what's the cause of me being better than you? Well, maybe God likes me a little bit more than he likes you. Or maybe he likes a certain group of people more than he likes your group of people. He likes rich people more than poor people, poor people more than rich people. People that speak Spanish, people that speak Chinese. He, he, you might start to think, well, God likes others more than me, or you might start to think that God likes me more than others. All of it's wrong. He doesn't show favoritism. When you understand that truth, you can be used mightily, and the Spirit can work through your life. That principle about favoritism is frequently stressed in the Scripture. It comes up a lot. God accepts Gentiles like Cornelius who show him reverence and obey his commands. Know that. And so Peter recounts the message of salvation in Jesus Christ that was delivered to the people of Israel. Now, he knew that they knew, everyone knew, the gospel message of peace through Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus had had been ministering for several years in and around the area. So, you know, people were familiar with the message, even Gentiles. They were familiar with what Jesus had done. You don't go around healing people and casting out devils, and, and only one group of people notices. Many Gentiles did notice. And he interacted. Jesus interacted with Gentiles throughout his ministry as well. But they knew that. He knew that they knew that. And he declared that Jesus is not only the Savior of, uh, of the Jews, but the Savior of all mankind and the Lord of all creation. He's, he's got the bigger picture. Peter finally understood this isn't a Jewish thing. He, he understood this isn't a Jewish thing. This is a God thing. This isn't a me thing. This isn't a thing about me and my way of thinking or what I'm comfortable with. This is a God thing. And once you understand that the work of the Spirit is always a God thing, you'll get with the program. You won't resist the Spirit, and then you'll be used mightily by God. Now, Peter recounted the ministry of Jesus as well. And again, they knew this, but he had a ministry throughout all Judea. He knew that they knew already about Jesus' public ministry. But he's reminding them. It began in Galilee shortly after John began preaching repentance of sin through baptism. We know that. They knew that. God the Father anointed Jesus, God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit, with power. This happened for several years. It affected the entire area and ultimately the entire world. Jesus traveled throughout Judea doing good, healing the sick, casting out demons. And all of this was only possible because God the Father was with his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the point Peter wants him to understand. This is about Jesus. Always make it about Jesus. 
And then Peter testified as an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. You see, he and the other disciples were with Jesus all that time as he ministered in Judea and Jerusalem. He saw Jesus, he saw, the, he saw him every day. He saw the Jews arrest Jesus. He, he, he saw Jesus handed over to the Gentiles to be crucified. He saw Jesus, the risen Christ, who appeared to his disciples after three days in the tomb. Only those witnesses chosen by God saw the risen Son of God, and Peter was one of them. They ate and drank with him after he was risen from the dead. That's a profound statement. It wasn't a ghost. He was risen from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Peter declared that as a witness, he had been commissioned to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a witness, and this was his calling. And though it was an uncomfortable situation, and it was new, and it was different, why should he do anything any differently? Preach the gospel. Wherever you go, no matter how comfortable or uncomfortable you may be, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share the word of God. Yes, you have to build a relationship and you have to earn trust, but when you have the opportunity and people start to ask questions and you start to share your life and your heart with others, it really isn't that complicated. You do not need to convince them to believe in Jesus. You just need to share Jesus with them. And if they're open to the Spirit, the Spirit will convince them of the truth. And if they're not, there's nothing you can do anyway. Well, Peter goes for it. I love it. He declared that as a witness, he had been commissioned to do this very thing, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he was called to testify that Jesus had been appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Okay, that's, that's something that comes out loud and clear. He commanded us to preach to the people in verse 42 and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. That's a very important part of the gospel, that there is a judgment day and it is coming. But notice he said in verse 43, all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ and be forgiven of your sins. Amen? you got to get to that part because it's not the gospel without it. There has to be faith in Jesus, not just some God, but Jesus, the person of Jesus. And as you repent and confess your sins, you're forgiven. And that's the wonderful message of salvation that Peter brought to them and that Cornelius had asked him to bring. And that the angel and the spirit wanted them to bring. The Old Testament prophets all testify that everyone who believes in Jesus is forgiven of their sins. Do you believe in Jesus? Say amen. Amen. Are you forgiven of your sins? Say amen. 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 All right, let's wrap this up. Now God's going to work. Not that he wasn't working before, but now he's going to work in an astonishing way. And one thing that you and I have to be prepared for is almost always in an uncomfortable situation, it's just going to get a little bit more uncomfortable. Because at the moment you think you figured God out, Oh, I can see now, Lord. Oh, praise God. I see what you're doing. Now I understand. Boom. It it, it goes completely sideways, and you're like, I didn't see that one coming. Here's what happens. Verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking, you know what that means, right? This wasn't in the program. He's still speaking. God does things sometimes while we're still speaking. We're still doing our thing. We turn around and we don't realize God is already at work in a way that maybe we need to not speak. But Peter was still speaking these words. 
And while he was doing that, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, <laughs> the circumcised believers, that's those Jewish guys from Joppa, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. See, they, they went as far as traveling with them, walking them as guests, going into the house. That was all good. That was all well and good. But now, wait a minute. I'm not sure about this. You mean the Holy Spirit's going to anoint them the way he anoints us? Yep. Didn't ask permission either. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? You see, I mean, you know, you're supposed to get baptized with water before you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, didn't God say that? No. That was probably just the way they had done it up to this point. And Peter's thinking, oh, uh, uh, we got this thing out of order. We didn't baptize. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. We already, you know, it's all good, but you can just see everyone's uncomfortable. Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So you see, Peter's not in charge. He's not in control of what's going on here. Actually, he was just doing what God told him to do. And now things start to happen that are astonishing to everyone. The Holy Spirit came upon these Gentiles as they heard the gospel and put their faith in Jesus. This is the very first time that the Holy Spirit had ever come upon a Gentile, as far as I can tell. It's the first time that believers have experienced the Spirit's baptism before water baptism. It's not supposed to be like that. It says right here in my, my prayer book, we're, we're supposed to water baptize before we baptize in the Spirit. I guess God didn't get that book. He didn't get the memo. God's going to do things in ways that make no sense to you sometimes. They're going to astonish you. Isn't that a good thing? Amen? Don't you want God to astonish you? If you could figure God out, he wouldn't be a very big God, would he? I'm so glad he does stuff that just sometimes makes us scratch our heads. I've heard it said that if he were small enough to understand, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. Well, the Jewish disciples from Joppa that accompanied Peter, they were astonished. They never expected the Holy Spirit would come upon uncircumcised Gentiles. That is, they were okay if they were circumcised because that would mean that they had become Jews. It's all good that God wants to be nice to Gentiles. We can get behind that, but what? Wait a minute. The Spirit is filling Gentiles that haven't even become Jews yet? Yep, exactly what happened. They clearly believed that that was the order of events that needed to take place. Gentiles must become Jews in order to be saved. Then they heard the Gentiles speaking in tongues and praising God, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. It happened suddenly. Without warning, while they're all gathered together, they experience something peculiar together. This is the same thing that happened on Pentecost among the Jews. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit who enabled all of them to speak in other languages. They were powerfully equipped to reach the Gentile world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Peter didn't even know it yet. God-fearing Jews heard the sound of Gentile disciples speaking in tongues, maybe even their native tongue. The sound of Gentiles speaking in tongues confirmed that they were saved. No one could say, oh, we're not sure about what happened here. I mean, they were utterly amazed because they were not Jews, yet they, and they weren't even baptized. Listen. 
They could not understand how these uncircumcised men had been anointed by the Spirit. You think that it's possible in the next week God may do something that makes no sense to you? You think it might happen at some point in the remainder of this year that God's going to do something so astonishing you're going to have to go back and read your Bible to try to figure out, I must have missed that. No, he's not going to violate his word. No, no, he's not going to do something sinful. But he's going to do all sorts of stuff that you're uncomfortable with. And it's going to astonish you. So it's best to be flexible. Right? Because if the Spirit's going to use you, you don't want to break. You've got to be flexible. I'm learning, I'm trying to learn to be more flexible in spiritual things. They, they were amazed. They were perplexed because they had no idea what, what could this mean? What, what does this mean for the church? What happens now? This is going to change everything. Exactly. Exactly. And that is the one thing universally in every culture that we're uncomfortable with. Change. Well, Peter directed these Gentiles to be water baptized since they had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. He's clearly convinced the Gentiles did not need to become Jews in order to be saved. This moment is pivotal in the early church, pivotal in the history of the church. This is the moment when everything changed drastically and radically. And thank God. Now, they were formally restricted from water baptism as uncircumcised Gentiles. Peter's breaking another rule. But what was he going to do? Could he, could he do something different than God was doing? He had to go with God. He had to, and you do too. And when you stop going with God, God can't work in and through your life anymore. Not the way he did. Not the way he wants to. Peter removed that restriction. Now you didn't need to become a Jew. You could be water baptized. Peter no longer sees Gentiles as separate from himself, but as one in Christ. No one could possibly object to them being water baptized now. The Spirit had not favored the Jews over the Gentiles. He treated them exactly the same. What is your problem? What is my problem? What is our problem? That we don't do that. And I'm not even saying racism. I'm not saying prejudice. I'm going to go so far as to say, sometimes as Christians, we view people who are not Christians in that kind of way. Like God can't reach them because of how they're living, or the things they do, or the way they speak, or the things they say. And we show them disrespect, and we distance ourselves a lot more than six feet. Because we're not comfortable with them. Listen, God wants to do some astonishing things. Are you with him? I hope so. Because that's when it gets really awesome. You know, uh, he called these Gentiles to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He called the Jews in exactly the same way. Calling them to repent of their sins that they might be forgiven. Calling them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't contradict, you know, being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because Jesus is one with the Father. He is the Son and he's one with the Spirit. But he recognized that these Gentiles had already repented of their sins and were forgiven. How did he know that? They're filled with the Spirit. That would not have happened otherwise. You got to give it to Peter. He gets it wrong a lot, but God chose him in this regard because he got it right. He's not afraid to do what God has asked him to do. That's one thing Peter was never afraid. And God used a man like this. All that remained was for them to be baptized with water. And 
There's no indication, brothers and sisters, that they were ever circumcised or that they were ever asked to become Jews. What would have been the point? This now becomes the contention in the early church. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts and the writings of Paul, there becomes two factions in the church. Those that think you need to become Jews in order to become Christians and those that recognize that's wrong. And we'll see that throughout the rest of our studies. As I ask the worship team to come up, Perhaps the very last part of the very last verse of this section is the most encouraging of all. Because look what it says. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Indication he did. You don't ask someone you're uncomfortable with to stay with you for a few days. Would you? No. Something had changed in Peter's heart so radically that they didn't want him to leave. Remember last week we talked about getting past the gate? I think Peter got past the gate. When people say to you, can you stay a little longer? Can can you share a little bit more with me? I I don't want you to go. Can we continue to have this conversation? You've gotten past the gate. The gate of their hearts. And so Peter agreed to stay with them in an impure, unclean home, eating the food, allowing himself the freedom to do all of these things because God had called him. Why? Because God is able to change the heart of even the most stubborn and prejudiced person if you let him. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord God, we thank you for this message. It's a wonderful message. It's an encouraging message. It is a challenging message. May we, like Peter, be able to get past the gate. May we be willing and able to be flexible enough that your spirit can work in and through us in a mighty and powerful and even astonishing way. And while we may be comfortable, Lord, again, just help us to get past our own issues and never become so stubborn or stuck in our stuff that you cannot work. In this church, in our lives, in our families, in our hearts, we ask that you would do this work by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.